0: Alright everyone, welcome to episode 88, I'm calling it 88, I know Jason did a little, uh, a short one, but I'm calling it 88, it's 88, welcome, uh, just me today, um, we've got a bit big week, I'm going away for four days, so I couldn't line up my time with Jason, so I thought we'll put something down, and there was some stuff that I, that I wanted to talk about. I uh, look a little bit disheveled I just finished at the gym and it was funny because I got my days all out of whack and I didn't check in and my trainer looked at me really weird and he goes you know it's Wednesday right I'm like yeah, yeah 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 and he's like you know we don't do a 3 o'clock Wednesday session and then that's when I said that that's why I don't let tech get in the way of my gains okay so just just act with confidence and um, you get to you get what you want in life. Now, this is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to do a little bit of a presentation, mostly around, centered around tech and crypto. Some big stuff happened. I think we'll start with the big news, which is Uncle Elon, Uncle Elon, buying a 9.2% stake in Twitter. Now, you can see this business. Dot com or edition article, the title is Elon Musk buys 9.2 percent stake in Twitter, making him the largest shareholder. To put that into context, when Jack Dorsey, towards the end of his tenure there, who was the creator of it, he only owned two percent of it. So he, so Elon owns five times the amount of Twitter that Jack Dorsey, the creator, owned. Now, he paid $2.9 billion. Uh, it pumped by 30% that day. So, you know, if, if, he, if he wanted to sell it, he could have sold his stake and made a billion dollars in an afternoon, which would have been nice. But he did keep it. Now, a lot of people are asking, why did he buy it? He had posted a Twitter post before, a poll asking if people thought that Twitter was upholding uh, free speech effectively free speech and 85% or 75% of people said no large proportion said no and at the bottom of the poll it said your answers are very important to my next move and then the next move was hey I'm going to buy 9% now I think the reason why it's 9% is if you go over 10% there's these additional hurdles that you need to jump through in terms of um like, SEC filings. He's got a board seat, but he's not a controlling... uh, He's not a controlling shareholder. So it's not like he can just walk in there and and make all these changes. But he does have a board seat, so he he is going to help with some of the decision-making. I think it's good for Twitter. I think... I'm really keen to see what happens here. I don't... My personal opinion, I think all... I'm, I'm my, my brains in web 3.0 whereas all this tech's in 2.0 still so I t- to me these are a lost cause I think oh in my mind there's going to be way better stuff in web 3 and that's what I'm more excited about but yeah uh, there you go so I think that's let's watch let's watch this space let's see uh, let's see what happens um He's one of the biggest Twitter users. He's got a massive following. Um, some of the big problems, when Jack sat, uh, like, stood down, it's, it's, un, it's disputed whether he did it for his own reasons or he was pushed out. I think the advertising model was not working as strong. I believe that shareholders wanted more subscription services offered to users which is pro- it's not a sexy tech type model, so I can see why Jack wouldn't like it. Uh, the guy that replaced it, him, and I'm going to attempt his name if I can see it. Uh, he was a... He was a... Um, one of the engineers for Twitter. And it was a bit of a strange move to go and make him the... CEO. His surname is Agarwal. I can't see his first name there. Parag Agarwal. Now, one of one of the first, he's been, he's got history of saying that Twitter shouldn't be about the right to free speech. It should be about creating a safe space for its users. So I don't know if that's what has have turned some people off, or I don't know if that's been used out of context, but. Um, that is one thing that he has said. So let's see. Let's see. Keep, well, I'll keep an eye on for you what happens uh, in the Twitterverse. And uh, it, it will be interesting. Now, the next thing is I did say in a couple of podcasts ago that one of the most important podcasts that I've ever listened to was the PVD podcast with the patron saint of Bitcoin, Michael Saylor. Now... Everyone's really busy, so a lot of people probably haven't. I have to say that everyone that I've referred it to, that they have watched it, it, they said it's a game-changer, an absolute game-changer. I want to play an eight-minute clip. I think I've set up all the technology, so I think this is going to work. So the audio should come through. I am going to put my headphones on because this computer doesn't have speakers, so I'm going to look like a bit of a peanut. But let's, let's, let's listen to the opening monologue from the patron center of Bitcoin, Michael Saylor. That's him, he's on screen. If you're, uh, if you're watching or if you're listening, you're about to hear him. This thing about uh, uh, what you were just talking about off camera, you just got into
1: this summer of 2020. It's not like you've been a true believer from day one. It's not like you bought in you know, 12 years ago, 10 years ago when these guys are talking, you just got in two years ago. For a guy as smart as you, what made you switch and say, this is the way to go?
2: Um, <clears throat> you know, most people don't think about money And uh, we just kind of take it for granted A and, and
0: I- little bit of backstory uh, Michael Saylor is a multi, 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 multi-billionaire I think, I think uh, the host of this show said that this is the first Multi-billionaire that they've had on the show He's been a hedge fund manager from uh, since the 80s Oh, I keep on brushing over What's a hedge fund? A hedge fund is like your superannuation is managed by an hedge, a hedge fund. So a whole a whole group of money goes into a pool. These people like this will have companies that that uh, buy shares or buildings or whatever to get you a return on your investment. That's what a hedge fund. Michael Styles, hedge fund manager, and he only got in two years ago, and that's why I liked it. I was convinced, but he was not convinced. He was he was a hater at, 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 at the start at start. But his turn and that's why i that's why i think this is so important so i'll keep playing
2: i uh really took it for granted up until about 2020 but i think in march of 2020 a lot of people's world's view world views were shaken right I, I had some deeply held beliefs you know one belief is everybody should work in an office and you had to come show up and work in the office and then during the lockdowns I found that I had to question that belief, and pretty soon we're all working remotely, and, and I, along with probably a billion other people, went through that same transformation. So that was like a digital transformation of work. Uh, in, uh, in the second quarter of 2020, we had what we'll call a K-shaped recovery. But in my opinion, the K-shaped recovery was Main Street got shut down and locked down. And if you manufactured anything or provided services, your business was wrecked. And then Wall Street had a rapid miraculous recovery within six weeks of the pandemic and they had the best year of their life. And I could have basically sat on a floaty in my, you know, pool in the Hamptons and got a 30% return in that year doing nothing.
0: Jason did this. So Jason bought the vast shares, uh, the ETF fund for the top 300 companies in Australia, right at peak fear. It was a really, really, really savvy move. So just by moving his funds out of his bank, moved it into a, uh, an ETF when everyone was freaking out. He's made 30%. He's 30% up. It was a genius move. And we just got paid dividends. And for some reason, his dividends were more than mine. Like his return on each share was more than mine. So if anyone knows why that's the case, can you put it in the comments and tell me? That'd be interesting.
2: Which would be the best year?
0: The tip is, the lesson out of that is whenever people are shitting themselves, that's where you should be allocating your funds. Hey, there's opportunity here. Everyone's scared. Don't be scared. When the whole crowd moves, when they're scared... That's where the bargains, that's where you're buying bargain
2: bargains. Of my entire business career, if I'm a financier, but if I was running a restaurant or running a manufacturing facility or doing something with raw materials, I would have had to generate 30% more cash flow to get nothing. You would have had, and of course that was impossible, so. Can you explain, can you explain to the average guy what that means, 30% more cash flow? the value of the currency collapsed in the year. In essence, the Fed printed 40% of all the dollars in existence in the 18 Mm -hmm. months uh, that followed the pandemic. So when Jerome Powell said, uh, we're not even thinking about about raising interest rates, you know, and forecast four years of 0% interest, and when the Fed loosened the reserve restrictions on banks and allowed banks to, in essence, print infinite money with no reserve ratio, then uh, the economy was flooded with liquidity what happened was the stock market immediately recovered people thought that that was a that was something good it wasn't good it was the money collapsing it was the value of the dollar collapsing in real time again
0: and this is something that uh jason has mentioned in the past as well and, and it's his his idea of what bitcoin does is when so if if what Michael Saylor is saying is right. He's saying if the economy, the cash, the value, of the cash is going down by thirty percent. Then anything that you've hedged it by, you get this gap, right? And I think it's even. I think it's even more than that because I think Bitcoin actually goes up when uh, the hedge is going down. So
2: against scarce assets. So uh, most of the time, if you owned a portfolio of stocks, if you had a billion dollars worth of stocks and your portfolio went up by 30%, you would have thought you were a genius in that year for doing what? For staying invested in stocks. Why? Because mm-hmm. Jerome Powell printed 30% more money. Okay. Uh, if you didn't own a portfolio of stocks, if you thought you were gonna work as a dentist or a doctor or do things with, in the real world, your business is shut down the cost of all your materials is going up, your labor has disappeared and no one's showing up to buy your stuff, the world doesn't look so good. So you had this uh, dichotomy, I think, and the people on one side of, of the economy thought everything was just fine and people on the other side of the economy got destroyed. I was sitting in the middle. I had a Main Street company that generated 500 million in revenue and generated cash flow and uh i had a 500 million million treasury that was sitting in conservative instruments basically invested in in short dated uh sovereign debt you know the, the the conventional strategy for any publicly traded company is you take your treasure and you buy one to five year t-bills and uh, otherwise you hold it in cash now um if the if the um interest rates were three or four percent and the money supply was expanding at two percent you might think that that was rational when the interest rate goes to zero percent and the money supply is expanding at two or three percent it looks a little bit painful but when wall street recovers 30 percent in a matter of weeks when main street's completely shut down and it's pretty obvious it's shut down your your uh Catalyze to consider your premises check your premises and ask the question is the economy 30% better than it was before the pandemic or is there something else going on here
0: and I think and just to touch on this what he's thinking what he's talking about now yes he's American, America centric but think about your life here, what have we just paid for fuel, what have we just paid for shopping When you go down to Bunnings, how much more are you paying for stuff? Is it 3.5% more, like what the economists in Australia are quoting as the inflation figure? Or is it closer to 30%? Actually, think about that. That's important.
2: I think the answer is there's something else going on here. The the actual inflation rate isn't 2% or 0%. The inflation rate was 30%, but the inflation was hitting the assets. It wasn't hitting consumer goods. And so what I realized is maybe the money supply is expanding faster than zero or 2% a year. And I started on a search and I discovered the Bitcoin standard and some Austrian econ- economists. And what I realized is the money supply had really been expanding at seven to 10% a year for the last decade. That's why the S&P index is, is appreciating at 10% a year for a decade. And once I realized that, that assets like the S&P and uh, equity portfolios and real estate are driven primarily by monetary policy of the central banks. Then I realized that holding money at 0% interest when the money supply is expanding at 10% is losing 10% of your wealth a year. And then I realized that in fact, the money supply was expanding not at 10%, but about 25% a year, starting with the pandemic. And I was going to lose half my wealth on that Treasury within 36 months. And once I realized that, I realized I was destroying about 250.
0: And yes, this guy is a billionaire, but what he just said is that he was going to lose half his wealth in 36 months by holding half his wealth in uh, effectively cash. Call it cash. We're all in the same boat. If you are sitting on cash now, or if you're sitting on government bonds, or if, if you're sitting on instruments that aren't making any, anything, aren't improving in value, you are losing, you are losing.
2: $50 million of shareholder value. If I did nothing, I started thinking I needed to do something. So in an environment where, where the money is losing 15, 20, 25% of its value a year, and you're sitting in all cash instruments, You either need to give the money back to the shareholders or you need to invest it in some scarce desirable asset. So, the reason I did what I did at MicroStrategy was if I gave the $500 million back to the shareholders, that was $60 a share. The stock was $120 a share. I basically was valued at one times revenue plus the cash. When I gave the money back to the shareholders, the stock was going to go to $60 a share. When that happened, all my employees' stock options were going to be underwater, right? Um, and we were going to get beat to death by Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google. They were just going to steal all our employees mm-hmm. when the stock crashed. And that would mean that instead of growing 5 or 10% a year, I was going to be shrinking 5 or 10% a year. Instead of my cash flows doubling or tripling, they were going to be cut to zero and once your revenues start falling, your cash flows go to zero, you have no capital, all your employees quit. When your employees quit, the company unwinds, we're gonna to go to zero. So giving the cash back to the shareholders was a fast death. Holding the cash at 0% interest when it was losing 20% of its value a year is a slow death. <clears throat> Doing something was the alternative, and so we decided to do something which is invest the money in a property or in an asset that would go up faster than the rate at which the money was collapsing and that set us on a search and we considered buying a portfolio of scarce art i thought about 500 million worth of real estate really you thought about uh, buying art yeah i th- i thought everything do you buy gold do you buy art do you buy real estate do you buy a portfolio of stocks do you so buy So you're going through a rate of different assets?
3: options before you settled on Bitcoin, you were thinking art, you're thinking real estate, you're thinking anything other than yeah. cash. Everything.
2: Right. And in fact, in fact, we put out a press release to our entire shareholder base when the stock's 120, and you can go read it today. It said, over the next 12 months, we're going to buy back $250 million worth of our stock, and we're going to invest $250 million worth of our treasury assets in some, some asset in order to avoid inflation. And we listed a litany of these things, and we included Bitcoin as one of the things we're evaluating. Um, Ultimately, so so we went from first principle.
0: If anyone, like, has seen one of my favorite movies, The Big Short, remember when uh, there was a hedge fund manager there played by, can't remember his name, the best actor in the world, and... um, his shareholders wanted out because he never communicated any of this stuff. <laughs> at least Michael Saylor and his company communicated to his people what um, what they were what they were looking at, what their potential fixes were for the problem. So just just note that if you're uh, going to run a hedge fund.
2: So we said, you have a bunch of money, and I'll tell you why. We said we're going to buy back 250 million dollars of our stock in a second. Uh, But you have a bunch of money, say $250 million, you wanna hold it for 100 years, give it to your great grandchildren. Where do you invest it? Well, if you put it into the dollar, the dollar is losing at least, it's been losing seven to 10% of its value a year for 100 years. That means over the course of 100 years, the dollar loses 99% of its value. My house in Miami Beach was purchased for $100,000 in 1930. Okay, I bought it for $14 million this is the villa. Twenty twelve. Today, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. So hundred thousand to fifty million in less than hundred years, that's that's not the house getting more valuable, that's the currency getting less valuable. So that means the two hundred
1: million a hundred years from now is nothing. Two million bucks.
2: Okay, if you took a, if you took any amount of money, take hundred million dollars in the year nineteen hundred and invested in any currency in the world, you would have lost 100% of your money in every currency except for the dollar or maybe the pound, every currency collapse, the winner of every war in the 20th century was the United States. And so the winning currency loses 99.5% of its value. Everybody else, you lose everything. Now, if you, if you put that money in gold, there's a 95% chance it would have been seized in the hundred years because there's only a couple cities on earth maybe zurich or geneva where you wouldn't have had it stolen and maybe then they would still would have stolen it, you know if you were the wrong citizen um in the libya wrong country if you were a swiss citizen in switzerland for the hundred years you might have kept the gold but uh you know churchill seized the gold roosevelt seized the gold if you'd lived in germany you would have had your gold seized multiple times in japan they lost it two or three times in russia you know count the number of times so there's nowhere on earth where you could have kept your uh, your gold and now you're stuck with okay well where do you invest it land take um take a hundred million dollars worth of money and buy land in florida tax bills two million dollars a year if you buy property in Florida, it's 2% property tax a year. It gets assessed up every year. You have the ownership of the land for about 20 years before the government takes it back from you. You don't own, you don't own your property. Uh, plus the maintenance property. of the land. Right? Yeah, plus the maintenance. So-
0: and this, okay, this is, the, this is the huge one, right? This is the first person that's ever put it into context for me. I've had a, I mean, I sold my properties. I sold my properties um, because the management of property as a investment instrument is extremely high. And it's hard to manage. Now, if you buy a new place off the plan, different story. You've got warranties, guarantees, you know, everything's new, so it's much easier. So that's, like, as an investment tool, that's better. But I had an old place. I was constantly throwing money at it. I worked out in, there was like a five-year period where it was costing me 10 grand per year per place just on maintenance alone uh, your stock portfolio like what could I have done with that 10 grand I could have put that 10 grand in something that was going to make me more money right so but but he even goes the the, the, the next step like um, I was under the threshold for land tax but now we, because everything's inflated by so much if you've got a mess I think the, I think the thresholds 700 grand or something in 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 australia every country's got it different uh it might be in queensland i think if you've got an investment property for over seven hundred thousand dollars, you have to pay land tax so just the tax for owning that asset so keep that in mind
2: oh if you want to move money through time how do you do it you can't do it with a currency the money is broken. The money was always broken. It's been broken for 100 years, losing 7 to 10% of its value. But in hyperinflating economies like Venezuela, or Argentina, fill in the blank, the money uh, loses 20, 30, 40% of its value a year, sometimes 80% of its value a year. In that case, you can't even carry money for a decade. You might not be able to hold money for a year in those economies. Uh, the Russian ruble has lost 35% of its value in the past few weeks, right? That's how fast it collapses. So fundamentally, we, we have this issue. I want to move money through time. I have a 100-year time frame. I'm an institution. The whole point is an institution is supposed to go on, right? And so how do you do it? No currency will work. Can you use gold? Well, gold as is money is, is the best idea humanity had for like 5,000 years, but, it was, but it's not a perfected idea. The problem with gold is gold miners produce 2% more gold a year. Okay, that's no better than the state of Florida seizing 2% of your, uh, your property a year in a property tax. The half-life of gold, therefore, becomes about 30 years. You divide 2% into 70, in 35 years, your money's cut in half. Mm-hmm. Hold it for 100 years, it's cut in half three times. The second problem is it'll be stolen by a criminal or a politician that disagrees with you. And the third problem with it is that gold is a a property you have to put in a vault. And if you have to put in a vault, then the counterparty, the bank, is able to hypothecate it and rehypothecate it, which means they basically sell a hundred ounces of gold paper for every ounce of gold you hold and they keep they keep shorting it naked and they hold the price down and manipulate the price you can't hold your own gold so ultimately the problem with gold is holding money in gold over the course of a hundred years is going to lose 85 to 90 percent of your wealth under the best of case the other problem is you can't move money through space with gold I need to i need to move money through time and space i need to hold it for 100 years and i need to move it from here to tokyo if i want to move you know a billion dollars of gold is like thirty thousand pounds or something you want to move a bunch of money through space it's going to cost you three to six months and five million dollars to move it once if you want to move it through time you're going to lose 80 90 percent of your money through time and it's going to be seized so Gold's a pretty expensive way to move money. Currency is an ineffective way to move money. Property, property is only good so long as the nation state that the property is in chooses to allow you to continue to possess it. But of course, uh, the oldest, you know, the oldest story in the world is, oh, we lost the family farm because we couldn't pay the property taxes. You can hold the, you can hold the land you know, buy 10,000 acres of land, someone moves in and sets up shop next to you, they incorporate a city, then they bring 50 people in the city, then they make themselves mayor, then they pro- pass a property tax, then they annex your farm, then they give away free money to anybody that wants free housing in the city, then they double your property tax, you can't pay your property tax, then they seize the property, because you can't pay the property tax. So. Ultimately, property is not a very effective way to hold money for long periods of time, and you can't move money through space. So this is a problem. We, uh, I started going down this rabbit hole of thinking about what is money when I realized that I was, in essence, going to lose my company, right, and destroy the livelihoods of all my employees and, you know, waste 30 years of my life. And so when I started thinking about it, and you know it's helpful when Jerome Powell says when I'm thinking about thinking about raising interest rates you know your strategy of investing in bonds is broken when i started thinking about it what i realized is money is energy money is economic energy social political energy currency is a medium through which the energy moves um if if you wish to um if you wish to hold energy, and transport energy, you need uh, a technology. We're not using gold anymore. When we use gold, as I pointed out, it's expensive and it's, uh, and it's cumbersome. Currencies don't work. The U.S. dollar is the, the strongest currency in the world, but it's losing 15 to 20% of its value a year. The peso is losing...
0: We have been talking about the threat the U.S. dollar or to the U.S. dollar with the Chinese one. So we've got to keep an eye on that too.
2: 40 to 50% of its value a year. The Bolivar is losing 100%. 95 98% of its value a year. So once you start thinking about it that way, you start thinking, well, what's a better way to store economic energy through time? And you realize that the currencies don't work, gold doesn't work, so what is money? Well, money, money in the last 30 years became the S&P index. You buy a diversified portfolio of companies, of stocks, which is a little bit better because maybe you're getting bled 2% a year by the management team, but the company's making money and so maybe you can hold value. It turns out that the money's losing about 10% of its value a year and the S&P index is going up about 10% a year. And you look at that for 100 years and there's a very interesting correlation there. A diversified portfolio of assets is tracking the money supply. Okay, interest. That's
0: what mine's doing at the moment. So I've got got a stake in uh, and it's doing exactly that number. 10%. Uh, which is half of a free kick because it came off such a low base. Jason got in much better, but he, you know, he, it might pay for it. Like, he's got a little bit of a free kick because he got in so early um, and, and he, and he bought in a peak fear. But so effectively, all I've done is park my money in this thing that's just going to hold the value of that money. It's not making me money, although on paper it looks like I'm making money with what Michael's saying, that devaluation of the currency means that I'm only really holding that value. It's not enriching me.
2: Interesting. What's the problem with that? Well, the problem with holding stocks as a store of value is if the stock goes up by a factor of 10, there's a management team that has a fiduciary obligation to issue more stock. There's a temptation to issue stock. Um, stocks aren't scarce. The, the the amount of equity shares will also go up if the stock is overvalued versus the fundamentals of the.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it there. I'm gonna leave it there. The guy's amazing. It's it like I said. If you like that, um, we'll post a link to uh, to that podcast to watch the rest of it. It is so important. It is so 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 important, and it's gonna get you thinking, in a, in a, put you in a really different headspace. So okay. I thought we'd have a quick look at to see what what Bitcoin uh, is currently doing. It's at 45,000 uh, Australian, uh, sorry, American dollars, US dollars, which is 59.6. Uh, it's taking a little bit of a dive. But look, t- to be honest, it's not really doing anything. It's just sort of sitting there and um, the whole market's pretty ordinary. Dogecoin dogecoin got a pump because of elon musk news no doubt so (laughs) that's gone up by 12 percent um most stuff is red but it's been a strong couple of days now on the bitcoin thing i've been in it since 2016 people thought i was in a cult there was so much negativity surrounded by surrounded by um uh Surrounded by effectively the cult of Bitcoin, people thought it was crazy. I'm, this, I'm buying these magic internet coins. It's a Ponzi scheme. It's a waste. Right? That was that was the first real negative thing that was said about Bitcoin. The next thing was it's only used on the dark web to buy drugs, um, which it was for sure. Um, I, I, I love that argument because what else is used to buy drugs? cash uh sexual favors you know there's a lot of things that are used to 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 buy drugs then when after the 2017 pump and then when it all went away people stopped talking about it now i've also then i noticed in this 2020 resurgence the issue of its power consumption so obviously the environmental climate change uh is a hot topic and um That has come up, we've said it on the podcast before, but I'll say it again, which is they compare Bitcoin, the cost of a Bitcoin transaction, they compare up against Visa. And where that is a very unfair comparison is that Bitcoin is not only the store of your wealth and the transmission all in one, Visa is only a payment gateway. And what does that mean? Your money's not stored in Visa. It is purely the transmission function. So if you're going to compare apples with apples, if you're using Visa as an example, you'd have to compare Bitcoin to Visa's power consumption, plus the bank of the senders, and the bank processing of the uh, receiver. I'm yet to see that. I haven't seen that um, calculated now the other beauty is, oh, well, the other thing too. When you go to go to a big city, you look at the biggest tower in the uh, in the city. It's always got a bank's name on it. Uh, that's not very, really, you know, health conscious, is it? I mean, uh, environmentally conscious. I've noticed a new thing that's come up now, right? Because that's I think people kind of moving past that. They realise that if you can re- generate energy for cheap, or in a, in a, in a uh, if you can generate reusable energy, then you can use that to create Bitcoin and that fixes all those problems. So that can be done. But something new, new has come up, which I was kind of blindsided by, I wasn't expecting this to happen, which is the idea that Bitcoin is not fair. I've been a massive proponent of it because I think it's one of the only investment instruments in the world that you can start with like $5. Like there's no excuse to not get into Bitcoin. If you have an internet access and a tiny minute amount of currency, you can start in crypto. You can't buy shares unless you've got at least $500. You can't start shares unless you have a bank that that um, you can link to your platform. There are people in the way of you buying shares, there are stock brokers, there are different companies that you need to engage with for you to be able to buy shares. Property, you gotta buy property through a real estate agent. Real estate agent charges, you know, two, two and a half percent to the seller. You gotta pay stamp duty on on top of that, which is, you gotta pay lenders mortgage insurance if you're gonna get a loan with uh, less than 20% deposit, which is insane so there is no excuse and and this is the excuse i hear the most because i'm a big advocate all right i'm pushing it all the time because i think it's one of the best things that anyone can do it's not funny this is not financial advice I'll, i'll put that little thing down the bottom but if you think about it there is no if your excuse is i don't have enough to do it you're lying to yourself you're lying to yourself for one coffee a week you can get in right just getting nothing else. There's not a term deposit. There's a limit on term deposit. If you don't, if you don't have at least five hundred to a uh, thousand, my business account has to have f- at least five hundred dollars in it. Otherwise, they charge me fees because it must cost the bank more to hold five hundred bucks um, than what it's worth. So there's there's this this wall. Not everyone's got five hundred bucks. I get that. I totally get that. But can you find fifty? Can you find twenty? You know, can you just scrape twenty bucks when you can to get in? Because you can do that in crypto. You can't do that in shares. You have to keep stacking the twenty, stacking the twenty. And let's be honest, we don't do that. We're not savers, right? We're spenders. So this thing about being unfair, I still think it's very fair. I think it's fair for those reasons that I've just just outlined. But this. This was a new one. So this... I'm surprised by this. Motherboard is a... Is a... uh, A a, a news company... um, From Vice. They do some really cool videos. And they've done a Cryptoland episode. But to me... I watched the whole thing. It was 32 minutes. I've just got a clip of it. It was... They were trying to tell you about it, but trying to shit on it really subtly. And then it got not so sold towards the end. So we're in the last three quarters of it. Uh, again, I'll put the link to the, um, to the show if you want, you want to watch the whole thing. But this is the host. The guy that's on screen now is the host. They are talking with a guy who's written a book about the inequality of Bitcoin. And this lady that, he, that runs a $7 billion hedge fund in crypto. Now, they bash her. I'm just gonna show this, this, this small clip, but I want you to see, like, how is this conversation fair? Um, I'll be interested to see what are your thoughts. What, what are your thoughts on how it was, it was acted and why would this be in a Cryptoland video? So, Maxwell,
3: I wanna to talk to you for a second because uh, there's a lot of big ideas and in your reporting on inequality in tech, what are the red flags that you see coming out of this conversation? You know, what what, what makes you want to push I, I, back tell the Tell me about most. the
4: red well, my red flags. Yeah. I'm dying.
1: Uh, <laughs> I you know I, you were just talking about you know uh, spending you know money on ludicrous things. That seemed, to me doesn't seem like an issue to be honest. Like rich people have been spending money on stupid stuff for thousands of years. I I think. But the, or maybe millions, who knows? Uh,
4: (laughs) They were trading uh... (laughs) wampum for like sick cave art. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) So, you know, like, yeah, NFTs, whatever you think about them, some people think they're innovation, some people think that they're, you know, gonna be gone. I don't know, I don't really care. I don't know if there is a red flag, but I do find myself still confused about outside of Bitcoin rising in price, uh bitcoin uh allowing people back in the day to buy nefarious drugs i I, i'm just having a trouble seeing how it's solving any of these problems and it obviously people think that it does because like you said there's a religious element to it there's a real devotion to it and early adopters i think understandably really feel attached to crypto because uh especially in the case of bitcoin it's changed a lot of people's lives. And if you were there early, but if if we're starting today, though, if you're starting to get into, you want to buy Bitcoin today, I wonder, do you think you'll be, uh, are you too late to the party or are you still very early?
4: You don't have to buy Bitcoin though. You can earn Bitcoin. You can get paid Bitcoin cash back rewards. Like what we want to start to do is create new dynamics where you don't have to buy it. The choke point, the control point is always going to be where crypto touches the traditional banking system. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things we're really focused on is building the ability for people to never have to leave the crypto ecosystem. We can now enable people, and there's actually a really cool company called Stackwork that allows, it's like an Upwork or a Fiverr where people can get paid in Bitcoin. Um, So if you're a developer, right? So for example, if you are a university educated woman in Afghanistan,
0: Sorry, just on that choke point thing. My banks won't let me put my money in my Binance account. Doesn't tell me why. Just doesn't let me do it. Just says no my visa card. So, uh, and, and Binance is registered in Australia as an exchange. It's met like it's got all the right credentials. I can't put money in it. So I literally have to send it to an Australian company and then send the crypto from that one over over to another one. So that's what she's talking about in uh, uh, every time it touches traditional finance, that's a problem.
4: Um, so if you're a developer, right? So, for example, if you are a university-educated woman in Afghanistan, you can no longer work outside your home. Right. If you have an internet connection, you can work online and get paid in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to deposit in a bank account because as a woman, you can't have a bank account. Right. So you can now empower people around the world to work
1: for
0: Bitcoin. Isn't that wild? Like, like what she's just said is the... Like, is that not... um the the most important reason for this. Women in Afghanistan are not allowed a bank account. So how can... Wow.
4: Which is pretty cool.
1: That That is a tangible benefit. How how big is that? How big is that? How, how often is that happening right now?
4: All the time. And there are huge developer communities in Argentina, in Chile, in Venezuela, in Turkey, where I'm from, in the Philippines, in Malaysia. Um, So we can now allow people anyone with a phone and an internet connection can get bitcoin and i think that's super powerful you and i don't feel that pain because we live in america and we have bank accounts and we've never been marginalized or excluded but i think for people who haven't had those opportunities like this is tremendously exciting for them
1: i think that that is a super exciting opportunity you have to agree with that. the question
3: yes of course but then the question is but will this tide actually lift all boats and i think that's the the inequality question in a nutshell and
4: here's my answer to that like i can't decide that for anyone right because value is deeply subjective and deeply personal and we're still super early like the technology to be able to do these things is like three years old what happens with that that future is up to people to, to build and decide this is permissionless financial technology So people will will build different things and some of it will make sense to us, some of it won't. Some of it will be altruistic and well-intentioned in nature, some of it won't. But my only job is to empower people to build the things they want to build and to try to move the movement forward in a way that's positive and value accretive. And that's all I can do.
1: Mm -hmm. I will say that the one thing that makes me concerned (laughs) is that, uh, is that- The one uh...
4: thing, are there many things? I feel like there are many things.
1: (laughs) Is that, uh, you know, this is essentially unfettered capitalism. There's, It's ca- capitalism without the state, by definition. That's the ideological underpinning of the whole thing. And there's a lot of history that shows that that's not a dem- democrat, uh, democratizing thing all the time. Does it end up benefiting society writ large? Does it rise all boats? Uh, or does it help a concentrated few? Uh, I don't think we know yet, but... The uh, it's worth, not
4: written yet, but, it's like... It's worth
1: asking until it does.
4: But by telling these stories, like, we can help shape the direction of the story. Yeah. But, like, we have to... We have to go forth and do.
3: And I know, Melton, we've been hard on you to some That's degree. Okay. I but can I think, take it. I think it's because...
0: Winnie worth $7 billion?
3: I'm
0: you can take She's a beast.
3: So much rides on what the early wealth earners of this community do with it. Sure. And how it becomes something or it just becomes another thing. Like, I think there's a lot of promise here and I think the technology itself is, like, is there.
4: But that story is for us to, to write and by holding people accountable and asking the hard questions and forcing the conversation. I don't the even have
3: the tools to hold people accountable to this. I don't even know what the right questions are because it feels like, yeah, the sky's the limit. Okay, well, thank you both for this.
0: So there was a that probably didn't show as much of the, the, the... Uh, it was designed for the two guys to win that stout, in my opinion. They were, they were really, you know, even some of the scoffs that they both had at some of the things that she said. But the fact that they're saying it's like it's not equal and they're saying that, oh, it's not going to rise all ships. Now, what, to me, what, what that says is, how come I don't want to have to do anything and I just want to be as rich as those guys? Like, that's always going to happen in the invest... Like, they, we live in an investor class. If you're willing to risk your capital over time for a reward, then you deserve that reward. Bitcoin allows, enables anyone with an internet connection to do that. Right? So, unless you... you can t- You can tell me that if you don't have an internet connection, if, if your city has not built you internet, 100% I'm with you and I'll feel for you. But uh, the people that have electricity, a phone, and access to the internet with this power have no, no, no excuse. If you're sitting in a Western country, you have zero excuse. So now, close that. Something else that happened two weeks ago, which doesn't really fit with my, uh, my narrative, but I, I show it because we, we do need to look at both sides, which is that the second largest crypto hack happened. No one's really talking about it, which is surprising because I thought they would, it was the perfect opportunity to start bashing it. $600 million in Ether stolen from an NFT gaming blockchain. So, uh, short, uh, I'll, I'll summarise it for you. There's a game called Axie Infinity. Uh, I'm invested in Axie Infinity. I think it's it's basically uh, it's like Pokemon or Digimon or or even a Tamagotchi that you can raise, feed, fight, you know, battle in in a in, in a game form that's online and is built on the uh, it's built on the Ethereum blockchain. And what you can do is is you can let's say you're willing to do the grind, you can build your character class up, and then you could sell that Axie for crypto. So it's great for people like, you know, um, like Milton said, if you're in an Argentina and your uh, your week's paycheck is going to be worthless in two weeks' time, if you could sit at home and grind an Axie and then sell it to some rich guy in the West that's wants to play the game easier, um, you're going to make a lot of money. And it's actually done really, really well. They're getting so many people playing that this other company, Ronan had created an easier onboarding function because like to get new users on which removed one of the security things and what the problem was they never patched back up so hackers went in and looked and said oh here's a vulnerability and they exploited the vulnerability and they got 600 million dollars worth of ether now i'll keep an eye on this case because what usually happens in these scenarios is they find the money because well the, the, the crypto because it's on the blockchain you can actually follow it you can see exactly where it is and where and who's holding it what wallet's holding it that's actually one of the beauties of it is there's, there's no real transparency as much as people want to say that it's uh, anonymous it definitely it's the opposite of anonymous what usually happens is they'll find the hackers that did it and say hey give us $550 million back keep $50 million for yourself and uh, we'll just call it even how does that sound you know i will probably give them a job so I'll keep an eye on that Um, that, uh, the reason why I brought that up is it is very, very, very significant. Um, but also the thing about crypto that you need to understand compared to traditional markets is that you're responsible for it. No one else. Your exchange is not your, there's no manager that you can ring. It's you, your wallet, your private key. That's it. You are responsible. So there are downsides to that. But there is also massive upsides. And on that note, thank you very much for listening. I know it was a, uh, it was a long one, but I, I had to sort of um, get my little uh, rant out there. Um, tell me what you think of the format. Did you like the graphics? I did just mock these up. Um, if, if you made it this far, thank you. Thank you. Good on you gold star uh put a full stop in the in, in the comments on youtube uh if you liked if you think this is going to help anyone um send it to them uh uh subscribe to the channel you can get us on you can get us everywhere we're on podcasting 2.0 we're on youtube we're on all the majors so thank you very much and we'll see you next audio